0: Hello, here comes another edition of Talking Football Direct, the Bundesliga show. Your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. This week, we're going to take a good hard look at the top of the table as well as at the bottom. The plot lines down there, they're just getting juicier by the week. With me this time out is a guest whose enthusiasm for the Bundesliga is surpassed only by his love for the Eagles. It's Brian Sanders of the Hey
1: Eintracht Frankfurt podcast. Hello. Hey, Matt. Nice to join you up and uh, talk about the rest of the eight matches that are not Eintracht-related. Oh,
0: you don't think we're going to gloss over that one, do you? Uh,
1: wishful thinking.
0: Wishful thinking. Yeah, You'd you, you be buying once a season. You've got to rest your case and be fine with it.
1: Yeah, but you always – you love it when it's at home, when you go from zero fans to then 10,000 fans and then 25,000 for the match that we will be talking about. You do kind of wish that the folks who are coming back to the stadium possibly for the first time are actually seeing the Eintracht win for the first time in a while. Yeah,
0: yeah, I thought they were okay. We will be right back with the best and the rest of Match Day 24. But while I have you here, please, you know, subscribe. Your heart's out to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Help us spread the word in any way that you can. It's really a big help for us for people to find the podcast. Do consider, if you have a couple of extra pennies to to throw, become a supporter on Patreon. We've got uh, a lot of timeless content over there, including 34 episodes of historic Matchday moments. We've got eight Scandal episodes, several more to come before the season is out. Give it a go. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 24 that just happened. And I think we're going to go the traditional route this week. We're going to start at the top of the table because – You know, there's a plot going on there. It did thicken slightly. I think the plot is is somewhat of the expected one, which is uh, Bayern are on course to win their 10th straight Bundesliga title. And they got a little bit of a boost in that effort by getting a win this weekend, as well as seeing Borussia Dortmund, their closest rivals. Only draw. We'll be talking about both of those results here at the top of the show. And because we have Brian Sanders on, who is noted Eintracht Frankfurt fan and podcaster, I think we really should start with their game against FC Bayern München. This was a pretty— Oh, you
1: don't want to talk about the Europa League draw.
0: Nah. Well, first things first, buddy. (laughs) I actually thought this was a pretty decent, decent uh, match from an Eintracht perspective. I mean, they were hanging around and hanging around after Bayern, you know, had some chances to get on the board. Kevin Trapp to the rescue. It almost felt like it was going to be another game where Kevin Trapp just, you know, basically saved everything uh, coming at him. And also because, oh my God, that pass from Jesper Lindström to Philip Kostic in, in <laughs> the first half, that was the most sumptuous through ball that I had seen in, in a long, long time. And I was, Devastated that Kostic was not able to put that away. I mean, to be fair, Jozo Kimish's through ball was, was pretty, pretty as well for, for Lee eventual go ahead goal. But, you know, my taste is my taste. Brian, we know already, we've talked about it already, that your team beat Bayern earlier in the season at the Allianz, didn't quite have the same sort of killer instinct
1: to make it happen again. But overall, how do you feel about the result? I think if you want to put this match into an track perspective, you could say it is a moral victory, if we can go so far as that. The team went out with a much different formation than uh, we'd seen in recent weeks, and there'd been a lot of talk of the recent acquisition from Borussia Dortmund and Knauf being uh, brought into the starting eleven with being placed out on the right. The question was, with a healthy Chris Linz and a healthy Philip Kostich, how are you going to utilize two players that play out on the left? And the Eintracht came out with a 3-4-3 formation for probably the first time all season. And yes, that Kostich-Lindström connection. When I saw Lindström just hesitate for one moment, I thought in my head, I'm like, Oh my god, he's been watching like old Maradona highlight films. He's he's doing La Paz, as they call it in Argentina. Mm-hmm. That that moment of hesitation before you play that perfect ball. And then I saw the Philip Kostic of the first couple seasons of the Eintracht where he goes for the far corner and just misses it. I mean, O'Reich was beaten and as it just crept further and further to the right, I was just like Oh, shucks. We're going to really regret missing that one. And um, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, the team who won was a team who actually had a lot more collective uh, shots on target, a lot more collective attacks onto the Eintracht net. Kevin Trapp is showing why some people could almost say that uh, if Neuer is not ready for the World Cup, that there's another guy that can fill in those gloves readily for the Jeopardy national team. You know, I'll take it as a much better performance than the Eintracht has done in recent weeks because it had been a little bit of a struggle. And uh, yeah, when you can at least say you looked good against Bayern, you'll take what you can get.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that this is in some ways an improvement, this performance, which I kind of agree with. This has been... Quite an up and down season for them. I mean, they kind of were threatening to go on a bit of a run when they, um, you know, sort of came out of the gate in the second half and looked like maybe they were building towards something. Didn't quite turn out to be the case. This is now, I guess, their what third loss in a row. Are you concerned particularly that they're now down in tenth place and are, you know, really? just about as close to
1: (laughs) the bad end of the table as they are to the good one? For me... I'm a little anxious at the fact that uh, European qualification is going to be out of the question. That is, of course, unless uh, you know, just we catch fire in another competition and happen to lift that trophy for the second time in our club's history. And uh, it, as we all know, we're in the Europa League, so you know what I'm referencing. Via the league qualification, I mean, in theory, we could catch up with the European qualifiers because. I mean, if an Union or Freiburg or uh, dare I say a Leipzig, as they currently sit in the standings, if they dared to win the DFB-Pokal, Eintracht could, you know, if they moved, if they moved up and had some results come their way, they could finish seventh. I mean, we've Eintracht, the club's done that before, but we knew when Adi Hutter was leaving, and then we got Glasner to come in. It was going to be a not easy. Rebuild of the squad because Andres Silva, you knew that he was going to leave if we didn't qualify for the Champions League. You had a new coach coming in, you had a new sporting director, and a new director of sport coming in. And uh, I think we can thank Arthur Berlin for that. And you know what, this with all the changes that are going on, you just were in a mindset that. A mid-table finish is kind of where the team kind of needs to be so as to quietly – rebuild, retool the squad to more fit the current management that is now in place. Glasner had uh, some proven results with Wolfsburg and also in his previous club in Austria. And you know what? I'm not worried about the relegation tussle. I do recognize that Bochum and Wolfsburg merely need to win their next match and the Eintracht do lose for us to go level on points and then start falling behind them. But when you have other clubs that hard deep, deep down and still not even on 20 points. I still feel a little safe in regards to that, but this is a, this is such a transition season that, uh, Hey, if you, uh, finish in Europe, great. If you just kind of stay mid table, that's fine enough for now. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was going to steer things toward this idea that this was a transitional season for Eintracht anyway, so I'm, I'm glad you went there.
1: I'll go back to uh, the appointment of uh, Glasner. Mm-hmm. He's never been a coach of a club that is as emotional as Eintracht and has as much media attention as Eintracht. He did have more money at Wolfsburg, that is, that is, without a shadow of a doubt. Look at the transfers that his management above him were able to make in his stead, which when they finished seventh and subsequently fourth in his two seasons at Wolfsburg. But Eintracht is an entirely different beast that the amount of attention and focus that goes on in a city like Frankfurt, it's a lot different than, you know, all the way out in Wolfsburg where You really are. You're the factory team. You don't have as much of a focus on yourself as an Eintracht in such a medium market, in such a rabid fan following. Just look at the the amount of fans that, you know, go on our European travels. That just says it all right there. It's been an adjustment for him just as much as it's been an adjustment for the management from top to bottom.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say that's fair. I think Oliver Glasner's not particularly charismatic public persona. And of course, public persona are, are not always very indicative of what someone's like in their actual day-to-day working life or how much their employees slash co actually like them. But, you know, it, that was a question that I think a lot of fans, a lot of media people had. It's, it's kind of getting there, I guess. I've been very interested to see the kinds of players that have been brought in, not only keeping his tactics in mind, but also under the new sort of Sporting leadership. I mean, we've had a number of players who have come in and gotten a lot of playing time and at times have looked quite good, at times less so. I mean, of these guys, some of these, you know, Rafael Santos-Barre, Samuel Amers, Lindstrom, who we mentioned earlier, Asgar Knauf, who you mentioned, who's going to be around for another year and a half. Are there... Any of them that you're really excited about having moving forward or you really feel like can actually reach that high level that some of the Eintracht attackers of the past, I don't know,
1: four or five years have hit? Uh, yes. If, if only you could just uh, clone another Sebastian Allaire, uh, another Anteirevich, another uh, – well, I mean – Kostic already you know still is with the club there are pieces at Eintracht that just need time to gestate I think Bore has kind of come into his own the free transfer pickup of, of him I think he is got just an unending engine just c- will not quit Lestrom let's see I mean when we acquired him from Barombu from the Danish Super League champions you know a player who has a lot of enormous potential at you know his young tender age of 21 just turned 21 literally <laughs> recently you know for him it's a uh, you know he runs hot. when you are young you run hot you run cold I, I have a lot of uh, faith in how he will develop another player that hasn't really seen the light of day because he was brought in with the anticipation that Kostic was leaving well uh In the most enjoyable, uh, for some people, if if you like the kind of drama that was surrounding Philip Kostic's possible transfer out of Eintracht, which did not happen. Jens Pettahauge from AC Milan. He's currently on loan, but the option to buy probably will be triggered. He is a player that can play out the left and the right. He just hasn't had a lot of time out there. For me, I think he is one for the future I think another one is Christian Yakik. He was not in the starting lineup for this one, but he has been kind of a defensive linchpin that has worked very well with Jirbal So in the middle of the pitch. I'd like to see more of him, please, Glasner, if you are listening. The pieces that are there are capable of taking this club onwards and upwards. How far onwards and upwards it remains to be seen, but, you know, it, uh, time will tell, and there's plenty of ma- – there's 10 more Bundesliga matches and at minimum two European matches to find out how high can the Eagles fly.
0: Yeah, that, that really is the question for those of you of an Eintracht event. Before we sort of overdose on Eintracht topics, I want to just get your thoughts quickly about Bayern. I mean it is difficult at times – assessing Bayern because they're just – they exist on a different planet than the rest of the Bundesliga and whenever they do stumble, whether it's against an an Eintracht or a less heralded team, we just have to sort of, I don't know, chuckle or, you know, savor it in the moment. What did you make of their performance on the day? Is this more or less the Bayern you thought would show up, taking into consideration what they've been looking like for the last – I don't know, month where things have been kind of shaky.
1: And uh, no Thomas Müller. Yeah. Hopefully he'll be ready for when uh, the second leg of their tie against Salzburg goes down, and they'll be able to uh, be the only club find the uh, Bundesliga flag in the uh, UEFA Champions League. Uh, my club will do its best in the Europa League, along with a couple others, but The way that Byron came out, well, kudos to Lewandowski for wearing a certain blue and yellow armband on his arm. I don't think anyone really needs to uh, read too deeply into that of where his thoughts were. The kind of layout that Julian Nagelsmann put Byron out, when they announced that they were – Buying Sabitzer from Leipzig, I thought to myself, well, that is really div-, you know taking a major piece from uh, a possible rival within the league, you know, one that he's worked with a lot, and yet for the life of me, and I, I know there's I can praise other players on this pitch that Byron threw out there, but Sabitzer is one that I keep on scratching my head and wondering when is he going to come good because you know he's bought uh, rather cheaply considering he was on his last year's contract with Leipzig and, you know, already having known his coach for quite a few years while Nagelsmann was doing very well with Leipzig, I thought he would have kicked on from here. And it kind of is indicative of the current like transfer saga that Bayern is going to be entering this summer. Cause you got Sule who was a menace to the Eintracht attack. That man, I will, well, let's put it this way. They are gonna be hurting when they're gonna find out that the next Bundesliga season's gonna be really rough without having Sule at the back, because that man just moves around everywhere. Opayakano Akano is kind of growing into himself. I thought Hernandez was, I mean, okay. But you gotta realize that like uh, Sven Ulreich uh, organizing the defensive line for Bayern is a little different when you have Manuel Neuer organizing it, to me. Bayern can only progress within the European concerns because, let's be real, Bayern is going to come away with yet another Bundesliga title. I'm sorry, Bay Bay fans, you need to beat other teams and don't rely on the Eintracht to uh, try and keep things close. But uh, Joshua Kimmich, he is the man that long term is going to be making sure that Bayern doesn't stop at, you know, 10 straight titles in a row. He is gonna be the linchpin for this team going forward. And the man was cleaning up in the midfield, being an absolute menace. And then and I put him single handedly down as to why Bayern just kind of sat there right constantly attacking the Eintracht net now. We held our own for a good long time. Napri looked good. Muziala, he's developing. We'll see what happens long-term. Sané was the guy who happened to get that perfect ball played in. Squeaked right on through, and Bob uncle. goal was scored. Bayern just shows that they have the class there that even if they're struggling, it just takes one moment, and then bang, there's the goal. And, like, and it ended up being the, the match winner. And a wonderful p- through ball it was to Sané to uh, put it into the back net. It was. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's one of those balls that has a certain seeing eye quality heading through multiple lines on its way to assist status. All right, let's talk a little bit about what's ahead for Eintracht. They're heading to Berlin to take on Hertha on uh, Match Day 25, after which they're going to start turning their attention to the Europa League. They learned this week, you mentioned, now we get to talk about the Europa League draw, (laughs) right? They are going to play uh, Real Betis in the uh, round of 16 in that competition. And usually they're playing them on a Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. This is like an imitation Champions League tie. How are you feeling about that particular matchup? And how are you feeling about, you know, if they were to get by Betis, the potential of going fairly deep into this competition?
1: In case anyone does not know where Real Betis is, they are in the city of Seville, in Andalusia in Spain, where the finals actually taking pace. So these guys really have got the urge to go all in on this competition to possibly lift a trophy in front of their, you know, in their home or oh, the, the state, the home of their rivals. And this is a team that uh, I've actually seen a little bit of. And they're kind of dangerous. If you know any Spanish football or Premier League football, you know that Manuel Pellegrini is a wildly old veteran of a coach. They have quite a few players who are going to probably give the Eintracht some trouble. I'll say this much, Matt. Thank God that we're – if if playing in Andalusia, at least it's not in the middle of like May because Spain down there, oh, it's just hot, hot, hot. And uh, yeah, uh, I think we'll get with – our best shot because that's the only chance that we have for, uh, for the season. And, you know, with a team like Betis, both teams will be going for it. Uh, so it's going to be a fun one at that. And for people of the CONCACAF nature, there's a pair of Mexicans there. So there's another reason to, uh, (laughs) if you're from our part of the world, uh, there's another reason to be watching this match because there's a lot of talented players on hand and I can't wait for it. Matt, we're not the only good draw that uh, the Bundesliga clubs had, though. So, I mean, Leverkusen, Atalanta, I think that could possibly be one of the more exciting matches of any Bundesliga team for this knockout phase. Because Absolutely. Atalanta, the way that they play and the way that Leverkusen has kind of just – I just am so envious of Leverkusen because Sewane went there. He was the, the main guy that – Eintracht's board wanted to have replace Adi Hutter and then it, which is kind of interesting because uh, he uh, came from Young Boys, Burn just like Adi Hutter came before he came to the Eintracht and he's made Leverkusen just a really tough team to play against and Atalanta is possibly the uh, best team in Italy that isn't called Milan. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm
0: very excited for that particular tie just because this is going to be you know... Uh, th- People always talk about, uh, you know, games being particularly intriguing when you have contrasting styles, but sometimes games are exciting because you have very similar styles, very, you know, vertical and uh, attack-minded styles. And I think both of these teams have both that in mind as well as the firepower to back it up. I do want to talk briefly about the other tie, which oh, boy. I think a certain, you know, something hangs over it, let's just say. I mean, RB Leipzig are at least at the time that we're recording this, they're meant to be hosting Spartak Moscow in the Europa League on the the 10th of March. I don't know what the future for that match holds. Certainly, if things keep going the way they're going, if Russia keeps pressing and, you know, (laughs) trying to take over the country of Ukraine, I can only imagine that UEFA might step in and boot them out of the competition. I mean, hey, we have booted the, the Russian banks out of SWIFT. Why not, why not boot the Russian football teams out of the Europa League? I was actually really impressed, however, in the, the Bundesliga this weekend. As far as I know, all the games had some sort of marking of the occasion of the start of this war and, and the show of concern for the people under assault and a sort of appeal for peace. I was Super pleased to see you know each game had a slightly different version of this. It was clear that the teams involved were instrumental in making this happen. I was happy, happy to see that, and I I hope that uh, Leipzig don't have to play against this Russian team,
1: or, or heaven forbid, travel there. You know, at least one thing that is for certain, Matt. When they did announce that they were moving the Champions League final, in guess anyone did not know, it was going to be played at the uh, the stadium built for built in Saint Petersburg for uh, Zenit Saint Petersburg, who actually got knocked out by Real Betis. So good on uh, the Spaniards for that. And they've moved that since to the National Stadium for France, the the one that hosted the 1998 World Cup final. Oh, the Stade de France. Yeah, Stade de France, and uh, of course the uh, uh, 2016 European final. And at this point, with all this being the lone Russian team there, so far, they have said they cannot travel to Russia. You know these uh, these governing bodies, they sometimes they sometimes just wait until the very last minute to make a decision on things. and so I'm uh, a little bit on the fence at how they should go about it outside of just booting them out now, but I'm almost of a mindset that you know what? Zenit just got booted out. Gosh, only knows what those guys were thinking at the time when they were taking the uh, pitch against Pettis in Seville, which was quite an interesting one at that. But if it had to go ahead, I don't see a real reason why Leipzig would not wipe the floor with this team. And to just add a little cherry on top, the current coach, the man who's been making them move rather well, Domenico Tedesco. Where was Matt? Tell me where his last appointment was uh, after Schalke. Did you know?
0: It was Spartak
1: Moscow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. He he can't say too many uh, statements that are too definitive in, uh, you know, uh, uh, condemning. Perhaps uh, Spartak Moscow's participation in this competition, if if it indeed goes that far. All right. Yeah, speaking of the Europa League, after getting bounced out of that competition by Rangers on Thursday, Dortmund went to Augsburg on Matchday 24. They had a little something to prove, I think. Um, maybe, maybe they just wanted to prove that they still have the measure of most of the teams in the Bundesliga, especially those down in the lower reaches of the table. You know, They proved that last weekend after getting hammered by Rangers at home and then turning right around and torching Gladbach 6-0, but they didn't prove much of anything in Augsburg on Sunday unless they were proving that they weren't ready to bounce back. They settled for a draw in the game, Torgan Azar scored the first goal of the game with a Very, very sumptuous solo dribble in the box, and then not a lot more from them. But uh, Augsburg, they were probably more in the mood throughout the second half, I would say. They did a lot of pressing, did a lot of running, earned an equalizer through something of a scrappy penalty area ping-pong situation when Pogracic couldn't quite clear his line. I think this is a really big result for Augsburg. I think that this is, what, their first time out of the playoff spot, in several weeks, you know, even if it's only by goal difference. And this is a pretty embarrassing loss, or Well, (laughs) it feels like a loss. It was a draw, but it feels like a loss. We've had plenty of dissections of Dortmund's troubles this season on this podcast. Do you want to take a stab at it or, or are you just going to throw up your hands?
1: I'm just looking at it and just chuckling to myself because you've got a club that is Dormant. You pride yourself on being able to be this kind of finishing school for young, super promising talent that then, you know, moves on to greener pastures, you know, buy low, sell high. Eventually, you just are kind of caught in a uh, absolute development nightmare wherein you don't really have the hard-nosed guys that are gonna that were foundations of the Tuchel regime, which came from the Jurgen Klopp regime. You don't have those foundations of a lot of guys with great experience that will be able to step up when you need them to. It's a lot of I would say almost a shotgun approach that they've uh, been taking with the, oh, this guy seems to be rather finished. We can buy – let's buy Julian Brandt. He's going to be absolutely perfect for us. Let's buy Dahoud. Let's buy Hazard. you know These guys are just going to take us out into the next level. Uh, Tell me which one of these guys has exactly uh, kicked on. They brought back Hummels, and I'm sorry, Matt. I've never seen you run, but I know I can outrun Matt Hummels at this point in time in my life. <laughs> it's not exactly a hard thing to do. This is a team that they want to house more life being brought in. Sula is gonna have a nightmare of a time playing with this team and uh unless they finish building from the back, you know having a strong stable defense you know you're not going to come away with uh many victories when you go to places that are hard to play which is augsburg and credit to augsburg they're always a team that you know will fight you know until the very last moment of the match and hey guess what if they don't score two or three goals It's a ticking time clock just waiting for the equalizer to come in because we've seen how their defense is. And hey, if you don't just bulldoze over these teams, they usually end up uh, drawing or even losing these matches.
0: Yeah, I guess we've all become accustomed to those games where Bay create tons of chances, don't finish them, and then get sort of picked off. And that's, that's one type of common ba Bay loss. This was a really different thing in that this was, other than that early stage, I mean, Torgon Azar, that goal, killed. <laughs> and there was a, a chance before and a chance after, which were, you know, somewhat noteworthy. But this was just not, the kind of performance that you would expect from from Dortmund did against a team struggling against relegation. Okay, let, let's move on from that. Let's talk a little bit about the furious sort of comeback of the uh, the weekend, that which could have been maybe an even bigger comeback. As far as I'm concerned, it was a real roller coaster ride. In München Gladbach. They were facing off against Wolfsburg. This was, you know, the first phase of this game was kind of threatening to just confirm our prior convictions, which was that the foals are kind of out of touch right now, out of sorts, while the wolves have become a much more explosive attacking side over the last month or so, especially since Max Kruse has joined. You had Jonas Vind, their new guy from Denmark, scoring the, the opener. Sebastian Bornow adding another. But you know, just before halftime, the narrative flipped. We had uh, first... Gladbach, their famously non-scoring striker, Marcus Thuram, scoring his first goal of the season. Then you had eight minutes from time and, and, and after, of course, a red card for Falafel's Maxence Lacroix. Braille Embolo, who also hasn't been doing a lot of scoring this season. I think he scored his first goal since December in this one. Matthias Ginter just about won it at the death, but uh, VAR overruled his goal for a foul in the buildup. Just watching the highlights of this game, which which took place, you know, while I was watching another game, <laughs> there was three or four other really good chances for the Foles. This was one of the most action-packed highlights uh, packages that I've seen in some time, and certainly of the weekend. I thought it was the juiciest. Are you feeling any more confident in Gladbach's chances to make at least something of a move up the table after they, you know, they're threatening to get some swag back?
1: Well, I've got a love hate relationship with Adi Hutter and the way that he had left the club. But look, uh what he was going to, he thought he uh, was gonna be inheriting the squad that was right for, you know, running right at the table. One thing that he always needed though at Eintracht was a central forward who either was scoring a bag full of goals, Andre Silva, or who was helping other guys to his left and to his right score buckets full of goals. So that was Kostic, that was Jovic, that was Rebic. He hasn't really got any of that production since moving to the Fools, And you'll have moments where, in matches where Adi Hutterball kind of comes through And there's other times that it just looks absolutely awful. And Wolfsburg, it looked like, honestly, as I was kind of watching, had one eye on that, one eye on another match involving one of Borussia's other local rivals. I kept on thinking to myself, I'm like, this is Florian Kohfeldt? He's still? Like, I remember when he was like a vertebrae, the kind of team that he would run out. He would try and attack. It would fail and then their woeful defense would just be leaky. But one thing that he's been able to do, especially with Cruza up there, is you know, you got someone to hold onto the ball to allow other guys to become involved with it. Because, you know, when Vindhorst left, I thought, you know, this is all said and done. This team is absolutely gonna be dead and buried. No, they got Max Cruza, and to me that's been an absolute upgrade. And Suddenly, Florian Kofelt doesn't look like a dead man walking. And I still think that uh, both clubs are going to be thinking woulda, coulda, shoulda in terms of how the seasons have progressed. But you know what? I at least don't think anymore that either of these clubs are going to be brought down to the uh, stuttgart Firth level of a uh, relegation scrap. These guys will end up mid-table, and uh, their fan bases, especially the Foles, will be thinking, how – In the hell did we lose to Hanover 3-0 and are not in the quarterfinals of the Pokal coming up midweek? You got it.
0: All right. Speaking of, of relegation scraps, we will be back after a break with just that. All right. This is part two of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. Match day 24, it was. Yeah, as promised, we're going right down to the bottom of the table, and I am zeroing in on two of the teams who had probably the worst week among uh, the teams in the bottom four or five. Teams who I feel like got themselves stuck in a time loop. Over the last couple of weeks. That is of course uh bay Stuttgart and Hanta Bayesse. Stuttgart were two one losers in Hoffenheim. If you remember, they were, you know, heartbroken last week when they gave up a late equalizer to draw with Bochum. But this week they like took it to a new level. They were up one nil in the second half and, and were holding on to that lead and holding on to that lead until five minutes from time when Christoph Baumgartner scored. Then did it again in the final minute of normal time. Total heartbreak for Valfish Stuttgart. Uh, Hertha, they also kind of had a bit of deja vu all over again. They collapsed against Leipzig in a game that they were really in before having a man sent off last week. Well, this week, they did go down early to a pretty soft penalty, but they hung in there. But... Fell apart completely in the final seven minutes. They were picked off twice for goals, pressing for an equalizer. I think time is running very short for both of these teams. I would say probably a little bit more for Stuttgart, considering their point total being a very underwhelming 19 right now. They stay second bottom. Hertha on 23 points. They're now in the playoff spot for the first time since week four. An ugly thing an ugly place to be how concerned
1: are you for these two teams Having recently played foul-based Stuttgart and uh on our podcast we actually had the commentator from that match join us to discuss what is it that is kind of proving Stuttgart to be you know stuck in this mire and you know from injuries to covid they're only just getting their team back to full fitness and hey you know what when you're down there in the dumps, it can be really hard. And when you have a 1-0 lead, you know, going into the 85th minute, and credit to the equalizing goal, what a peach that was. (laughs) And the fact that, you know, uh, Baumgartner was able to score a second. I mean, if you're the Swabians, you have to be thinking that, I mean, maybe it's just not their time. One thing that has been said by, and this has been echoed by Hetzelsberger, is that Pedro Matarazzo, whilst, and I, I've been really tracking his progress with Stuttgart. I was expecting a lot more from them this season, but they seem to be wanting to go with the Freiburg route and stick with him basically until the end, and then let him kind of work with this still very young team and uh, earn themselves right back into the Bundesliga. And I think that. The, the future is still bright for Stuttgart, and they have a very definite like idea of how they want to play long-term, and uh, I think that's going to suit them very well. Uh, the other team involved at the bottom – I'm sorry, Matt – Hertha. The uh, other team. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking at Hertha, and I'm just looking at the players that are on that roster, and there are names that you associate with talent – And I haven't seen it I I felt it in the earlier match between Eintracht and Hertha this season, one of the few victories that Hertha has been able to pull off so far in their Bundesliga campaign. But I just keep on wondering if Freddie Bowitch's idea that hey, so long as we get through this season, we'll be able to start our full scale rebuild, you know, brick by brick. So what he was able to accomplish with the Eintracht after we survived the relegation playoff and stayed up, and then went to two successive Cup finals, then Europa League and so on and so forth, they're stuck in the mud. And it's a real, real tough question to ask of how this team is gonna do it, because Typhon Corkut does not look like a man with answers.
0: Yep, I agree. I agree. I think that this could be a pretty grave miscalculation on Bobic's part to gut the squad and you know go from one fairly underwhelming coach to another. With all apologies to Pal Darda, but at least his performance this season was quite underwhelming. It might just not cut it. So I'll be very sad if that happens, but it, it it could happen. Let's switch gears and talk quickly about Freiburg and Hoffenheim because there were winners in these two games. They did you know at least for stretches play well. I mean, I think probably Hoffenheim were, you know, dominant enough to expect to get back into that game despite trailing for a while. And the Freiburg margin over Hertha is a bit flattering, but they were ultimately the better side on on the day. They are now sort of scrapping with Leipzig over that fourth UCL spot. Do you rate either of their chances to sort of snatch it away from the Red Bulls? Or is this
1: just fantasy? I think long term, it's a really interesting question because you got Freiburg and Leipzig both who are still in the DFB-Pokal. In case anyone did not know, that's midweek. So Freiburg has Borkum, Leipzig has uh, Hanover. Both of those clubs will be hungry to be able to, you know, with so very few other Bundesliga clubs involved in the competition, they'll really fancy their chances at lifting some silverware and giving their fan bases a real jolt in the arm. I would almost say if anyone was to benefit from that, because as we mentioned, Leipzig is also in the Europa League, I think, as much as I don't mind them all so much, Hoffenheim, they kind of suffered the same thing that Stuttgart did, COVID and injuries last season, but they're a team that like, quietly has been figuring themselves out, and I'm looking at them and thinking to myself that I'm going to lay it down right now that Hoffenheim will finish either fourth or fifth on this season. And that's entirely dependent on does Leipzig stumble because they're still involved in both Pokal and Europe?
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Just to sort of round things out, as you mentioned, many Bundesliga teams, <laughs> as I think most of you are aware, were dumped out of the cup at earlier stages. So the last eight actually only has four asta Bundesliga sides. You already mentioned that Hanover-Leipzig tie, as well as Bochum versus Freiburg. Those are both on Wednesday. Additionally, on Wednesday... Ha Foul, remember them? Uh, <laughs> they are hosting <laughs> Karlsruhe and then on Tuesday in sort of the, the, the featured match of, of the round, I guess, because it's a standalone match on its own night. I'm sure in Germany it's, uh, you know, primetime ARD, whatever. That's Union Berlin versus Sankt Pauli. You know, maybe uh, the original cult club and the New Coke cult club <laughs> uh, taking each other on. Sorry, I had, I had to. It, it was just sitting right there any of those ties really get you going particularly?
1: Um, for me, uh, it's it's hard to look away from Union Berlin and St. Pauli. Oh yeah. That's eminently watchable. Exactly. And uh, in case anyone's curious of where St. Pauli is in the uh, second division standings, they are above all the other uh, Hamburg, Karlsruhe and Hanover currently in the Zweite Liga standings. So we might, regardless of if Union move on, we might be seeing St. Pauli in the Bundesliga in the near ter- future. I think if you're Union, you got to be thinking we could possibly go to our second cup final in our club's history since reunification. And, you know, for those guys, they thought the Conference League was interesting. Mostly because, hey, you didn't get to play your home matches at Atafos Rai. You had to go to that Olympia stadion. And, you I, this is just so much fun. The, what makes the DePay Pocal so unique is the unpredictability of everything and the fact that Karlsruhe, you know, they beat 1860 to reach this point. Cone was defeated in penalties by Hamburger Sportverein, who had a rough loss at the weekend. They sure did. The Nordermy. <laughs> follows that division. This is, for me, I think if any one club is feeling the pressure the most to do something it's Leipzig because you are looking around at the top half of the table of teams who typically finish there in the recent years and you're looking around and seeing nobody who can at least on paper field a team that is anywhere near as strong as them and considering how close they have gotten in the Pokal previously they have to be thinking this is the way that we show that we as a club are making the next step that is at uh, Getting our first piece of silverware, and then of course the the next thing for them will be eyes on that big old salad bowl. Yep,
0: yep. I think uh, anything less than a cup win is a failure for Leipzig, considering considering the competition that's left in the tournament. All right. Speaking of Leipzig, they had a win. On the weekend in the Bundesliga, they held on to fourth after it was a pretty workmanlike win, really, in Bochum. Coach Domenico Tedesco decided to give uh, Christopher Nkunku, Andre Silva, Danny Olmo all a rest by leaving them out of the starting lineup. But, you know, ended up putting them all in <laughs> just before the hour mark, which actually changed the game. Nkunku scored the winner, Bochum. They had some chances. They hit the post. This was not an easy day at the office for Leipzig. Also taking care of business toward the top end of the table, we're at third place by our Leverkusen. They were 3-0 winners over uh, Arminia Bielefeld. You had a couple of second-half goals from Musdia B, which you know, would have been enough alone to seal the deal for them. But they followed a first-half goal from Lucas Alario that came after a pretty clear contact between the ball And the hand of Paulinho, which is reflective of of a new interpretation of the the handball rule, which is to say that if a handball is inadvertent and and not committed by the actual goal scorer, that a goal that is subsequent to that handball can stand. I mean, I get it. I get that interpretation. I see where they're coming from. But this this goal really pushed that rule to the limit because basically Paulinho kicked the ball – at short range, into his own hand, and directly off of his hand went to Lucas Alario. It was basically a perfect hand assist, inadvertent, admittedly.
1: I don't know. Do you have any feelings about this? Um, Matt, it's funny you should mention this, as I am a certified soccer referee. Oh, very nice. And when they made the alteration to the handball rule, I just scratched my head and wondering to myself, I'm like, Well, you can't make it much more clear to everyone who is not a referee that the people who are writing the roles just can't seem to make up their minds on this one. And, uh, yeah, I saw this on the highlights and was just like, ugh, (laughs) not much more that you can say to that. And the fact that they obviously at the uh, review center decided, no, it's good. It's good. You know, keeping it going. I mean (sighs) – I, I'm, not, I'm not in those guys' brains and how they're thinking, but I thought a handball was still a handball either way that you kind of look at it. But, hey, you know what? I didn't really think that Bielefeld was probably going to get the three points out of this, so kind of weighs out at the end. Uh, the right team won and the other team lost. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just a
0: talking point. Okay. Speaking of talking points, there was a couple of results from the weekend, which at least just on the scoreboard at a glance – Seemed somewhat surprising, I thought. First being Goethe and their 1 1 draw at home to Cologne. Uh, this, 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 is, this, is, this is the duel of the monosyllabic place names that are difficult for English speakers to say correctly. Furt versus Köln. Uh, Furt. Versus, Köln. Uh, just, you know, say it with me or don't or don't. The latter got on the board first with a fairly weird goal from Florian Kainz, which, you know, looked like it was a cross, but actually turned into a goal. This is always an interesting flavor of goal. But that effort was actually canceled out eventually by Sebastian Griesbeck. You know, all that would have been academic, however, if only Salih Özjans. Insane no-look, back-heel flick hadn't hit the crossbar in the 15th minute. <laughs> this was this was going to be a clear goal of the season candidate, but it just wouldn't cooperate. It wouldn't go in. It hit the crossbar, bounced in front of the line, and, and then off to safety. Dang.
1: It was, I will say, that was one of the matches that I was watching. And when I saw that, I was like – Oh, here this is a this is an emotional club in Cologne. How are they going to respond? They played lights out until I would say they scored the goal and then they thought, eh, this is great to first, we got this in the bag. And uh, the look on Stefan Baumgart's face as they were walking off the pitch to a one-one draw to you know say thank you to the fans, you just saw how frustrated he was thinking that was three points. We 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 should be in seventh place, and they would have if they would have won. Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. But you know, as we've seen a few times in recent weeks, Fürt they still have the ability to get hammered up their sleeve, and we saw that happen against Bayern. But they've played a lot of teams tougher in the last say I don't know five or six weeks than they did early on the season. So I, I'm not super shocked by the result. A little bit surprising, I guess, was Union's 3-1 win over Mainz. These are two teams who kind of came into the match at very similar areas of the table. They've been at similar areas of the table for much of the season. But, you know, Union had been on a really bad run. They had accumulated zero points and scored zero goals in their last three games. And they left this game with three points after having scored three goals. Genki Haraguchi – Sheralda Becker and Taiwa Awani all score. That's one goal scorer who had never scored for the club and two goal scorers who hadn't scored in months. So very nice turnaround from Union. And a dominant core double yellow within three minutes. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? Uh, every time I see one of those, a, a player who <laughs> gets himself sent off for two yellows in three minutes, like it happens. This is a, this is a thing. You just wonder – how the
1: guy goes into that second challenge, what he's thinking. Oh, man. Having seen him in an Eintracht uniform and do that in you know in front of my own eyes, I know that the guy is uh, he's a good player, but then he's just going to have a moment or two where he just kind of blacks out and he's going to wake up and it's like, oh, what just happened? It's like, oh, he just got red carded, bro. <laughs> that uh, Becker goal. Two absolutely fantastic goals in this match, but Becker getting uh, his in there, just just throwing out a wonderful, curling, right-footed shot right before the the pair of uh, yellow cards that we mentioned. I keep on thinking to myself, like, Unio Berlin, they're looking at midweek in the Pokal, and they're going to be buzzing after this, and uh, I think saint paul Pauli's got their hands full.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially especially in that this is at the Altifrost, right? Incidentally... Dominic Kaur did this in the Hinrunde against Union. He got sent off. It was in the dying minutes, but it was for a, a double yellow almost consecutively. So as you say, he's uh, he's, he's got some priors. <laughs> all right. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Great to have
1: you on here, Brian. Great to be on here, Matt. Been listening for a while, and the fact that I'm on here, it's just it's just fun to talk with someone who enjoys the Bunda just as much as I am, whether you like the Eintracht or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have generally warm feelings, as you know. You can find Brian on Twitter at KCSGE. You know what that means, as well as on the Hey Eintracht Frankfurt podcast. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there on Twitter. Talking Foosball Extra, they'll be coming up in just a couple of days. Talking Foosball Fantasy, they will be back to get you ready for match day 25 toward the end of the week. Bist some Knicks and all, y'all.